live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. I will be your host this evening. My name is Yona Bud, and we're joined in the studio with my friends Sophia and Devin, uh, who will be taking our calls. And actually, the first segment is a call-in segment, and the way you call us is by dialing 416-870-6400 or toll-free 888-225-TALK, which is 8255. If you want to reach us during the show or after the show, please do so by uh, uh emailing uh, road to recovery just had to catch that for a second road to recovery at 640toronto.com we'd love to hear from you and share your ideas of future shows ideas of uh, the things we're talking about give me some comments tell me how you feel about the show in general and all that kind of stuff or just say hi to Sophia and Devin they'd like to get messages too so tonight we're talking about tainted stuff tainted drug supply road to recovery by the way if this is the first time joining us it's a show about us helping each other uh, getting to the other side of stuff, getting through life, getting through the difficult days. Um, you know, you call in, we share, we talk, I share information, you share information. So it's an interactive community-based opportunity for us to share, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. 416-870-6400. Devin is standing by and excited to take your calls. So when I talk about tainted drugs, tainted things like that, you remember way back when, or maybe not so far, not so long ago perhaps, where you were having a drink, you know, at a bar or something, you were concerned about somebody putting something in your drink, you know, your mom or your dad, if they were street-proofing you at a young age, would have told you, you know, never put your drink down, never walk away from your drink and so on. And that's really good advice because you never know who's going to do bad things, right? People do bad things for whatever reason. Well, there's a really cool thing that Sophia just shared with me, um, and I'm going to share it with you tonight. Uh, Just on the drinking side alone, we're going to get into tainted drugs here in a second as well. But we're talking specifically about uh, tainted tainted, uh, people tainting your drinks, putting things in your drinks. So there's a new thing out. It looks like a scrunchie. I don't know if you know what a scrunchie is. It's the thing that you put in your hair to hold your hair back in a ponytail and so on. It's... So they're very cool. My granddaughter has them. I have one. My wife has Yeah, I have one now because I haven't had my hair cut in like almost a year. But getting rid of the scrunchie, getting a haircut sometime soon. I'm digressing. Anyway, uh, this thing you wear on your wrist and then you order your drink at a bar or whatever, wherever you are. You take this thing off your wrist. It's got a little hidden compartment. You take it out. You spread it over the top of your uh, your drink, your, the cup itself. It's got a little tiny hole, enough for a straw. You can get a, a system with that comes with a straw that you can hold in your pocket as well, collapsible straw. And that way, this thing is covered, so there's no way anybody can put anything into your drink. Uh, it's elastic, elastic, elasticized bottom, and uh, you then take that, stick it in your pocket, put it on your wrist or whatever, take it home, wash it, and use it the next next time that keeps the bad guys out of your drink so you know have you ever been to a party you know had the had the the um, the brownie that looked delicious the homemade brownie that mary brought or jessica's you know daughter or sister made for you and you took a bite of it and then in a little while you started to feel kind of really weird went up to your host and you go like i just had one of those brownies a little bit ago and i'm feeling really weird and she goes oh my god you didn't you look at her and go, yeah, 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 I did. What do you mean I didn't? Oh, God, you had the wrong brownies. Those are the weed brownies. Oh, my gosh, they shouldn't have been on the table. And then you're now, you know, have ingested a bunch of THC in your system, and you now got to work it through, uh, let the system, your system work it through, and come out the other side. 
not such a big deal for a lot of people, but for some people it could be really, really uh, difficult to manage if you don't know that it's coming. So, so too with any kind of laced drug, any kind of drug that's got stuff in it that you don't expect. You know, it's one thing to mix drugs. You know, I've been doing this for a really long time. Worked with thousands of, of addicts and families over the years, people with, you know, difficult situations and poor mental health to drive to drive them to addictive, um, you know, addictive behaviors and so on. And, you know, for the most part, people aren't out trying to kill themselves with their drugs. So if by chance you think you're doing heroin and it's laced with something else and you take as much as you used to when you thought it was just heroin, now it's laced with, let's say, fentanyl. We'll get to that in a little bit of this, later on in the story here, later on in the show. That Then you're in a really bad situation. Well, you know, they, okay, say so you're talking to me. Okay, Yona, you know, what about heroin addicts? I want to hear from you. Have you ever taken a drug or taken had a drink or taken something you didn't think was what it was supposed to be and it wasn't a good experience? 416-870-6400. We'd love to hear from you right away. And uh, join us on the show. Devin's going to take your calls. So lacing is some a practice for, for drugs, particularly things like cocaine and so on. Uh, it stretches it, right? It takes an expensive drug and it stretches it out. You just It's all about profitability. In some cases, it's about making the psychoactive effects stronger. So that gets us to this whole discussion about, about marijuana, about weed, right? Laced weed. So I've been in this game a long time. When I first cut my teeth many, many years ago, decades ago, uh, I was doing street work and uh, often ran into people with uh, issues like uh, PCP-laced um, uh, drugs, um, different kinds of things sprayed onto, uh, onto marijuana to make it look crystally and make it look uh, and act more, more potent. Stuff is super dangerous, right? So marijuana can have all kinds of stuff in it. It doesn't just have to be heroin or, or cocaine that we're talking about. It can be just as simple as smoking a joint that's got stuff in it that you don't think should be there, and it shouldn't be. Like naturally grown marijuana doesn't have all this stuff if it's done properly. No pesticides and so on. But there's things like heavy metals and lead that they're, they're said to have been uh, leaked into the weed as it grows uh, because of the ground. It absorbs through the ground. Fungus and bacteria are things that you can find in marijuana if you're buying it from uh, illicit sources, those that aren't being scrutinized in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, can you imagine you're smoking a joint and all of a sudden you get really nauseous or sick? Or in some cases it's sprayed with stuff, Right. Sprayed with PCP. So PCP has been around since I was a street punk. Been around forever and ever. It's a dangerous, dissociative, hallucinogenic drug. Um, people spray it on, on marijuana when you get a bad crop because it makes it look crystally, right? It makes it look, oh, wow, look at the crystals on that weed. And then when you smoke it, you get this crazy head buzz, I'm told, right? And then this, you know, very unlike the mellow, the mellow effects generally of THC and CBD on, on, you know, the average recreational user. So if you're not careful and you don't know where you're buying stuff from, and let's say it's a bad, a bad crop, it's likely that it's going to get sprayed or dusted, as they say, with stuff that's going to make it more powerful but not good for you. You're looking to get a marijuana buzz, and the next thing you know, you're dealing with hallucinogenic issues, right? And when PCP is added, by the way, to marijuana, it causes all kinds of potential uh, delirious effects, right? Um, significant issues with hallucinations, delusions, confusion, aggression, suicidal behavior, seizures, respiratory issues. Uh, I had a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, I was called to an emergency room, which I used to go to often in the day, and uh, found myself, you know, dealing with um, 
a person who had uh, been um, overdosed, a young lady who had overdosed, and her and her friend overdosed on fentanyl-laced marijuana. Now, that's how you, you know, fentanyl is very inexpensive, which is why we find it in all kinds of drugs, and we're going to get to that later in the show as well. So marijuana, cocaine, things like that, they're, they're all laced with different things if, to bring up the potency and drive down the cost. That's just kind of how it all works, right? So cocaine, for example, marijuana sometimes is laced with cocaine, but very unlikely because cocaine is more expensive than weed. So typically when something is laced, it's laced with something less expensive than the drug itself. You following me? So when you look at um, you look at the effects of marijuana, you look at the effects of uh, of, of different kinds of psychoactive um, psychoactive drugs on other drugs, spe- specifically household chemicals and stuff. This now becomes very dangerous. That's why people say, you know, you're better off to buy your weed if you're buying marijuana. You're better off to buy it. At a, you know, at a government store, at a you know store that's somehow somewhat supervised and so on, you know you have to be careful with what's in in, in marijuana today. Methamphetamine's been found it. Ketamine, which is a club drug, is often used um, to to dust marijuana. It just makes it more. It gets you higher. So lousy weed, when you spray it with stuff or add stuff into it, makes lousy weed just better, right? So some effects of laced marijuana, things you have to be careful of. Using marijuana and experiencing no psychoactive effects at all as a result of significant additions or, um, or anything added to the plant. If you're experiencing uncharacteristic feelings of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or other signs of illness, chances are there's something bad in your weed. Difficulty breathing, dizziness, lightheadedness, being able to feel as if things are not exactly real. So starting, suddenly having an effect on you, a trip, if you will, that's not. That's just not the same as weed. You'll, you should know the difference at this point if you're trying it, right? If you're buying it from a legitimate place, you're not going to have to worry about this kind of stuff. Experiencing incorrect, incorrect characteristic insomnia and so on. Got to be really careful. So never purchase ground marijuana. They say never purchase marijuana from somebody who won't let you look at it first. Never, you know, if you're buying it off the street. And basically, just stop buying your stuff on the street. It's not a really good plan. Same thing with cocaine these days. You know, the cocaine that people are buying on the street isn't cocaine. You know, I, I tested a, a patient. Uh, we had a patient a, a couple of months ago that I was working with that um, had an issue with his cocaine, right? And um, he got arrested, whatever. I, I, I sent somebody to pick up his what was stashed in his apartment so we could get rid of it before he was released on bail. And we tested it just for the heck of it. And uh, there was about 23% cocaine and the rest was all garbage, all, all street drugs, all kinds of you know, chemical stuff found under your sink. So be really careful. If you're going to use street drugs, be careful of the street drugs you use. If you're smoking weed, just buy it from the cannabis store. Just It's safer, it's easier, and it's legal. You don't have to hide around in a back alley, right? So, you know, when we come back, it's, you know, we talk about getting high on weed and, 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 you know, for those that are using cocaine recreationally, but there's a ton of people that use drugs every day just to survive. And when we come back from break, we're going to be joined by, uh, by my guest, who's the Minister of Addiction and Mental Health here in Ontario. We're going to talk about what the government's doing to try to make this better. I mean, we're losing 17 Canadians a day from the opioid epidemic, and that was in 2020. It's worse now in 2021. So go get yourself a drink. Go do what you got to do. Use the bathroom. It's going to be very exciting on, when we come back for segment two. want to hear from you, 416-870-6400. This is Yona Bud, 640. Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. 
had a friend of mine, OD, passed away like on Valentine's Day. We were out here almost, well, he was out here a lot longer than I, but we were, hang, we were around each other for four years. He's like a brother to me. Data from a new report shows the number of fatal overdoses has increased during the pandemic when compared to the same time period the year before. And while no one is immune, the study shows the people most at risk are those experiencing homelessness and unemployment. So there you have it. It's uh, a real grim story about numbers of people dying. The numbers uh, from the agency um, look like 6,214 people suffered opioid deaths in 2020, 17 deaths per day on average uh, compared to 4,000 back in 2019. Still a big number, but we're up significantly. My guest tonight is, uh, is a good friend of the show, um, Minister Tabolo. He's the Minister of um, Me- um, Mental Health and Addiction. Minister, welcome. Thank you. Hello, Yana. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, nice to have you back on the air, buddy. We took a little hiatus, but uh, we're nice to nice to be back. So let's get right to it. Uh, Minister, you know, the, the numbers are staggering uh, as we look at the number of people suffering from uh, opioid uh, deaths, uh, obviously tainted opioid deaths as it relates uh, to this story anyway. Um, you know, and you and I have talked for years, uh, either personally and on air, um, about what we're doing, what the, what the, what's the schedule around uh, what we're trying to do to fix this. Um, is the government doing all the right things from a policies perspective right now to try to get a handle on this? Like, what's the plan when you guys sit around and figure out how to get out of this epidemic now that we're getting on the other side of the one you've been bothered with for the last couple of years? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, we knew uh, that, that we had a, an epidemic or a pandemic with uh, mental health and addictions in the province before COVID-19. With COVID-19, we started making substantial investments in virtual supports uh, because, again, most of the uh, the, the different uh uh, organizations or providing services were had to go virtual because they were shut down because of the, the COVID-19. So it exacerbated the problem. But the uh, virtual supports have been extremely helpful from the standpoint of being able to provide support to individuals. We've got something like 80 something, 82 or 83,000 people doing virtual cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, we've got our, our frontline workers on a, on a specific program for them. Um, we are making substantial investments to build that continuum of care. We've spoken about this before, Yona. We inherited a, a broken, and I won't even call it a system, problems accessing services, uh, problems with fragmentation, continuum of care issues. And what we've done is we've made uh, sizable investments. We're at $525 million in new annualized funding now. Specifically, we just announced and uh, we will be uh, give you more detail on uh, a sizable investment over $37 million in addiction, um, uh, addiction-specific supports, everything from harm reduction uh, uh, strategies to uh, additional beds being publicly funded for people requiring treatment, uh, you know, uh, increasing uh, the use of RAM clinics for individuals, uh, more supports uh, in the north where we are also facing all kinds of issues. Uh, it's a serious problem, uh, and it, it's impacting on every segment of uh, society. Uh, that the clip that you uh, you mentioned about homelessness, well, the social determinants of health. We are investing a sizable amount of money in increasing the amount of housing available for pre-treatment, supportive housing after treatment, individuals coming out from the corrections, uh, looking at diverting individuals through the justice system into programs 
we're doing everything we can, but it takes time to think the system and build it and, and ensure that uh, we have sufficient people to work in the system as well, which is another huge issue uh, given the, you know, the, the, the need for additional people trained specifically to be able to provide these supports. But we're, you know, Minister, we're losing people on a daily basis. You know, we we scrambled when we were losing uh, bodies to uh, the COVID. You know, everybody got together, we scrambled, it became a became a whole thing. Uh, you know, everybody in the country was pulling in the same direction. We don't see that with this with this um, uh, situation. And I think the thing that concerns me the most is that people believe that those using drugs, you know, for the most part, you know, they're going to end up killing themselves anyway, so it's not a big deal. Maybe you need to explain to people, as I'm trying, uh, that we're not talking about uh, people necessarily homeless, people living in cardboard boxes under a bridge. We're talking about, yeah. you know, your, your lawyers, your accountants, your doctors, school teachers, uh, caregivers, frontline workers. Um, you know, if someone yeah. started with, a, with an opioid uh, prescription, they're now, you know, not getting their prescription anymore. They like their drugs too much and they can't find a way out. What are we doing yeah. in the short term to help those that are struggling immediately? Well, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can and we're increasing the amount of supports that are available. Uh, we're utilizing, uh, you know, uh, uh, the mobile intervention crisis teams more uh, throughout the province. We are going to be announcing very shortly. We've spoken in general about it, but a pilot project where we're going to have mobile health units that will be uh, in the community. We're investing more with respect to withdrawal management, which is extremely important in the continuum of care. Yeah. Um, you're you're right. Uh, you know there are too many people dying uh, from uh, from uh, uh, drugs and addictions. And you know you're right. It's not just the people that are homeless. You know, 30 percent of the people that have died this last year in in the uh, in the total of the of the people that died, 30 percent of them are construction workers, yeah. are managing pain using opioids. Yeah. And you know so- we're seeing uh, you know we're seeing a, a, a supply now of hydromorphone. Uh, becoming readily available on the street as well, which is bringing new people uh, right. to, uh, to 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 try and experiment with drugs. Yeah, I mean, hydromorphone is what you, we try to use in harm reduction as the first phase to get somebody off of opioids. So now that it's finding itself on the street, so you know, all the, you know, with respect, sir, all the all the clinics and and uh, added uh, treatment programs and online capabilities. I know you guys are chasing it down big time, doing the best you can. But you know, it's the street level stuff. When you're talking to me about this mobile stuff, you and I have been talking about it for for a couple of years at least. Um, I think that's brilliant, and, and and we thought so when we first talked about it. Um, but when you know, if you didn't have the red tape that I know you have, um, as with any other politician in any other uh, ministry, you you know have the same red tape as anyone else in, in government. Um, doesn't it frustrate you though? Frustrate you though sometimes, uh, Minister, that you know you, you you know what needs to happen because you're you know people need to understand by the way that Minister Tobolo has a background in working in addictions. Uh, he is studying to become a therapist, a, a PhD in working uh, in addictions. You know this is not just some guy with a, a gifted position from the government. This is a, the minister is someone who I appreciate, respect, and admire for um, if he's able to, um, you know, you got to understand this guy knows what he's talking about. So, minister, when, when we're talking about, you know, street worker to street worker here, um, it's, it's frustrating as hell, right? Um, what would you do in the short, what would you do in the short term if you didn't have all the red tape you're faced with? Well, and, and you're 100% right. It's extremely frustrating uh, when you see that there are things that you can do immediately and it just takes time to work their way through in terms of ensuring that you are doing the right thing. So the evidence-based, ensuring that 
uh, the appropriate amounts are being uh, invested. To me, the most important thing we could be doing is breaking the logjam when it comes to um, treatment. Um, right. We do not have enough treatment options. And when I say treatment, uh, you know, that could be the full spectrum from yeah. uh, outpatient day treatment to, um, you know, having uh, nurse practitioners attending at people's homes to yeah. having social workers responding to uh, calls as opposed to police officers uh, yeah. to, you know, short-term residential treatment, mid-length, mid, uh, uh, and, and of course, long-term residential treatment where necessary. Um, to not have enough in that continuum, what we're doing is with harm reduction, uh, really we're putting people on palliative care. I, I, I hate yeah. to say it yeah. that yeah. way, but I know. we wouldn't put a cancer patient uh, on, on uh, morphine uh, uh, protocol uh, for any indefinite period of time in the hope that you're going to find uh, space. And so, you know, and this is what people want. They see these treatment options. So I'm working really hard to build as much capacity as possible to break the logjam. And I think that, and again, a lot of people automatically assume that means uh, uh, abstinence. And in most cases, it does mean abstinence. But we also have to remember there are some people that will never be able to return to abstinence. So we need to keep the spectrum and our minds open to what we need to do on an individual basis. Once that will not fix the problem, we need to put all the options on the table and work through them and follow the individual from the point where he or she says, I need help, to the point where we have recovery to the greatest extent possible for that individual. Okay, Minister, I, I, I do appreciate, um, and you're you know, a thousand percent right on. We'd love to have you on again uh, in a couple of weeks, if that's okay. We're just running out of time here. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I, I feel your pain. I'm so happy you're doing what you're doing, and it's not someone else. I have a lot of faith in you, brother, and uh, we'll come out the other side. When we come back from break, we're going to talk to somebody who started with uh, pain medication for pain, and then his whole life turned upside down. It's a great story. Turns out nice. There's a decent ending after. want to hear from you 416-870-6400 if any of this rings a bell this is yana bud 640 toronto you're listening to road to recovery with yana bud only on 640 toronto okay welcome back thank you for joining us tonight we know you have other choices this is yana bud on 640 toronto we're talking about uh, drugs and tainted drugs and drug supplies and all kinds of stuff just finished having an interview with uh, minister tobolo i have another guest on the phone who's um, also a friend of the show we've had him on uh, in uh, on other networks with me in the past his name is daryl gibbian gibbian and uh used to be dr daryl gibbian daryl how are you i'm good thanks how are you yona Good. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your Saturday night with me. I hope you're well. Um, so for those that don't know the story, Dr. Daryl Gebbian was a, a doctor in <clears throat> emergency medicine in uh, the Barry Hospital, uh, Royal, uh, Royal, what's it called? Not, what's it called? Royal Victoria. Uh, yeah, Royal Victoria Hospital. Thank you. And um, the story goes, right, uh, Daryl, you, uh, you had some pain or something and you ended up taking some uh, pain medication and it caught the yeah. better of you. And the next thing you know, your life went to, uh, to crap, as they say. You went from being a doctor in Emerge to being uh, charged and then convicted and doing uh, some time and coming out the other side. And now you're on fire to help change the world and do the stuff that we're doing together to try to help people uh, come out the side of this uh, this pandemic of uh, opioid crisis. You heard what the minister had to say. Sounds like, yeah. again, like they're spending tons of money. But do you think it's going to make a difference, brother? 
Uh, it has yet to be proven. You know, there's there's so many things that need to be improved, uh, and it's the policies that are the problem. So, you know, the biggest hurdle to get over is is to legalize, like decriminalize the drugs out there to get rid of the tainted drug supply that's on the street. That's what's killing people. And so to me, that's the biggest thing that needs to happen. And also, as, as Minister Tobolo said, is uh, it's removing the logjam for people to get immediately access to health care. Um, for every other medical problem that we have, you get to the hospital and you get treated. But when it comes to addiction and a person is ready to receive treatment and then they're t- told they have to wait six weeks for a bed. So that's a big spot that needs to be improved. How did you? How long did it take you to go from taking uh, prescription medication under a doctor's care to it taking over your life and uh, spiraling you out of control? Um, I was on steady state with Percocet for quite a while, several years, but it just slowly grew over time. And uh, the addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum. I had some personal issues going on. My back right. pain was getting worse. I ended up having two surgeries, but. Uh, with Percocet, it took years for me to spiral, and then eventually, uh, as I switched over to fentanyl, uh, I would abuse the patches they were prescribed. These were the safe drug supply, and that only took me six months to fully spiral out of control, lose tons of weight, uh, make some horrible decisions, put my career in, in jeopardy. But to correct you on one thing, I still am Dr. Gabian, uh, and I, my medical license is reinstated. Oh, muzzle tough. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. It took a long time. But the Excellent. And surgeons, they knew they knew that the decisions I made were, were well under the throes of addiction. Under the influence. Yeah. And I so are you, are you going to are you practicing? Are you going to be practicing again? And are you going to do addiction medicine? Yes. And yes. Uh, so I could return in as early as this July, but um, I'm, I've decided I'm running up my own small business and it's been going well. So I'm going to wait till the winter. And I'm going to spend some time shadowing at Women's College Hospital. They have an excellent addiction medicine clinic there. Uh, excellent. Just walk in. It's at Women's College Hospital in Toronto, downtown Toronto. And uh, Dr. Kahan is the main guru there. And I'm going to spend time with him and his crew and, and uh, show her up on my knowledge of treating addiction. And, yes, so I'll be going into addiction medicine. I'll go back to emergency medicine later down the road. But that's, that's the plan for the short term. You know you're going to be you're going to be the guy that everyone's going to want to talk to because you will have lived it. You will have lived it, and now you're back on top as you should be, uh, able to save lives. You have the ability, I think, brother, to uh, to make a huge difference in the world. Uh, Daryl, uh, doctor, it's a pleasure to call you doctor. By the way, doctor Gebian, um, going back to uh, this whole thing around, um, uh, we talk a lot about you know street drugs and fentanyl tainted supply and so on, um, but we we do have a problem. You mentioned it earlier. We do have a problem at the at the policy level. You know, there's a report that goes out to say that uh, this, you know, the first wave of the epidemic was fueled by uh, overprescribing. The second one was, uh, you know, uh, the second fa- the wave of the of the pandemic, the, the opioid the, the overdose pandemic, um, was was then fueled by pain clinics that were that were used to be pain mills. You know, offering uh, pills for dollars, doses for dollars. Um, and then, you know, when the when the government changed and no longer made things like oxycontin available because you could crush them and you snort them as soon as they made those a rubbery kind of su- substance then we started seeing people using things like fentanyl and right. and uh, other other kinds of opioids it seems to me like a lot of this 
could have been fixed at the policy level. Do you really think that this is a, a government kind of fix, or what do you think we need to do, both as a as a doctor, as a as a as a recovering addict, uh, as as someone who's done their time and and lived with people incarcerated with these kinds of things, and someone who's gone through tons of your own therapy and continue to do so? Um, how do you how do you see us digging our way out of this, man? It's you know a complex process, but it starts with changing our own way of thinking about addiction. Now it's it's been criminalized, and myself included. I did hard time in prison um, for what should be considered a medical illness. People uh, under the throes of addiction make horrible choices, and it's because they, it is fueled by going through withdrawals. So I'm speaking in broad scopes here, uh, right. but. When people are addicted to opioids in particular, when they go through withdrawal, they become desperate. They become very, very sick, and they will go to extreme lengths. So physicians who are addicted, like myself, take advantage of their prescription pads. Nurses will divert from patients in the hospital, not taking it from the patient, but it's diverted. There's ways they do it where it doesn't cause harm to the patient. But there's right. a common theme here of why people do these things, because they're sick. That's the main thing, is to realize that a person who is addicted to opioids is ill. And even people who are with chronic pain who have been on opioids for many years, they still have dependence. They may not be addicted. So there's a big difference there. And so our attitude even towards them needs to change that not everybody who's on long-term opioids is addicted. They are dependent, meaning that they'll right. go through withdrawal, but not addicted where their life is falling apart. So to answer your question is to change our attitudes, to destigmatize it, to treat people uh, humanely and with compassion to get them into beds when they need help, get a bed available or get them into aftercare, uh, sorry, to, um, uh, into a short-term stay, into detox, getting, trying to see if they want to go on to opioid replacement, things like Suboxone and Methadone. Correct. And then once they're in the medical system, to get them transferred to aftercare afterwards. So it, it is possible. There are solutions to this. That's based so, on the third one I've already mentioned. Sorry, the third one is making the drug supply clean instead of trying to take it away, get people back on opioids that they know what they're taking. So people need to understand, our, our listeners need to understand, and by the way, any questions for Dr. Gebbian, 416-870-6400. can always send us a message at road to recovery at 640toronto.com. This is Yona Butt. I'm talking to Dr. Gerald Gebbian about the tainted drug supply and um, overdose uh, pandemic in Canada, if not the world. Uh, Dr. Gebbian, um, if you would have, if you, if someone would have intervened, I mean, you know, you said you, you did hard time, but chances are you probably should have been treated differently. I mean, you did have an issue with your prescription pad there were some illicit activities you did in fact break the law how would how would have you if you were in control of treating someone like you or dealing justice to someone like you what would you have done instead of sending someone in that situation to jail um there needs to be consequences for stubborn people like myself who uh, i went to the nth degree uh, i it took being arrested and handcuffed in front of my wife and and, and the kids, and they didn't see it, but they were there in the house. It took right. that for me to finally change. Like it was that, and I'm, I'm not alone that way. But this is, it takes consequences. And um, had, you know, the, had, instead of the law, if I was to do this all over again, if, I, if my work had caught on to it, which they did, they did know right. in, the, in the hospital there, but if they had pulled me off the schedule, that would have been the, the bottom of the barrel for me. That would have triggered me off to getting help. Um, so it took it takes consequences 
because I was scared. I had a deep secret. I didn't want anybody to know about it. But my life is falling apart. I am stuck as a slave to these drugs. I was taking them not to get high at this point. It's just to feel normal. and just to survive the day. Yeah, and it's a horrible situation to be in. And my heart goes out to anybody right now who may be listening who's suffering silently like that. And so the option is to offer help. And the easiest way is, like I just mentioned, in Toronto, these, these walk-in addiction medicine clinics or RAM clinics where people can be treated humanely with compassion and get them on opioid replacement like Suboxone or Methadone. That would be Doctor, the way to go. Go ahead. Dr. Daryl Gebian, he is um, a good friend and uh, now will hopefully uh, be our regular guest going forward as we talk about this opioid crisis um, moving into the future. Hopefully we're going to look for solutions. Once again, my friend, congratulations on getting reinstated. It couldn't happen to a better guy. And I hope we can continue to have you on uh, regularly. And um, I'm, I'm excited to watch you uh, thrive and uh, grow from where you were to where you're going to be because I think you're going to be on yeah. fire and I think you're going to change the world and save a lot of lives. Dr. Daryl Gebian, a good friend friend and uh, guests of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk to somebody. Interesting story, right? Psychedelic drugs. So here's a kid, 17 years old, had a big opioid problem. Fentanyl was his choice. Decided to take a trip on LSD. Very calculated, very smart kid, very calculated. When we come back, we're going to talk about how that trip changed his life as it relates to his drug addiction and uh, all that kind of stuff. So we'll see you in a bit. This is Yona Bud. We're talking about addiction and epidemics type stuff around uh, dying and death related to the opioid epidemic. And we want to have you come back and join us for our last segment. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And I have a wonderful guest who's just, who has agreed to join me. His name is Sean. He's from Barrie. Uh, Sean, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for, uh, well, you're a young guy. You're 17 years old, so I assume you're just getting up for the day, right? You're not, you're not worrying about staying awake at this point. You're just getting started for your evening, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So, um, Sean, when you know you, um, you're 17 now. You've been, uh, you were, you were um, involved with uh, opioids pretty much for the last several years, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, in your time, you obviously had issues around overdose and uh, been brought back uh, using uh, the Narcan uh, nasal or, or, or injections. How many times did you actually overdose such that you had to be brought back to life, as they say? Um, I think in total, probably about four to five times. Okay. And in the time that you were using, um, opioids, and I know you're not anymore, but in the time that you were using opioids primarily to deal with mental health and, and, uh, and issues around mental health, or were you just trying to get high? Um, I'd say probably mental health, but definitely some aspects. You know, maybe it started off with mental health, but it definitely evolved into, you know, just getting high. So I know that, you know, we've been working together for some time and obviously, um, you know, we, we provided you with a with an anonymous uh, cover so people don't know actually who you are. But I do have experience with you and I can say that you've worked really hard over the months to um, to try to get yourself in a position uh, along with good therapy to get yourself in a position of not uh, using opioids and not putting yourself in that in that situation. And we've had some excellent results. And then one day, not so long ago, a couple of weeks ago, what happened? Tell me the story. The over, I mean, the relapse or the no, the, the no, the uh, the acid trip. All right. So, um, 
for a while now, I've known that like acid and psychedelics potentially have like a kind of like a recovery-based aspect to them. So one of my me and my friends decided to drop I think it was 200 micrograms of acid, and throughout the trip, it the only way I could really describe it is it kind of enlightened me. It really showed me the harm I've done to other people. It really gave me a deeper understanding of my own emotions and kind of why I'm using and everything around, you know, drug use and stuff like that. And I, I find afterwards it probably had the most profound impact on me that I could ever expect. Uh, t- let's describe for the listeners what that impact is. How, do, how has that one trip, that one, uh, uh, what you said, it was an incredible experience, a, a very positive experience. You and your friend had it. You were in the bushes, in the in the woods, so to speak, uh, you know, enjoying the, the surroundings and so on. Then what? You, 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 you sort of during the trip and after the trip, you come out of it feeling like what? What's changed in your life? I don't think it necessarily changes anything, but I think it gives you the insight and the tools to make a change in your life. Because a lot of people will, will trip on acid, but they won't really, you know, come out with anything. But I think if you use what the trip actually shows you about yourself, it can definitely really, like, you know yourself better. That's really the only way to describe it. Like, you kind of understand why, you know, you're doing certain things and, you know, really just have a deeper understanding of yourself. And it, it allowed me to know like why I'm using and kind of the underlying reasons behind that, which definitely helped me with recovery because I knew what like, you know, really what made me use, which kind of helps a lot. So it's been 10 days, almost two weeks since your trip. Uh, when you came out of it, you told me you've basically lost all your urges and uh, and uh, desires to uh, use, even though you weren't using, you were still had some urges and desires. Um, are you still feeling like that's the case, that you no longer have those urges or inklings to use? Definitely. Like, I would say the whole way I view drugs has completely changed. Like before, you know, there was always that temptation because I could get high. But after my trip, I kind of realized, like, drugs, what they are and how unnecessary they are to deal with my issues. It, it kind of, like, changed my entire view on drugs. Like, I no longer view them as something I can do to have fun or something like that. I just see them as, like, this harmful substance at least because it's a complete like disarray of negative effects so there, for over the last number of years, there's been a renewed interest in psychedelics and doing clinical research, and people have been looking at things like, uh, you know, back in the 60s, you know, it was a hippie culture, and uh, acid was used, and then it was declared as a Schedule One drug and taken off the off the uh, off the list, and then for a while, um, uh, then all of a sudden, out of uh, out of Johnson and Johnson, this ketamine-derived nasal spray called Spravato for depression came out in 19, uh, 2019. It's been helping uh, lots of people. Um, and opening the doors for some studies now around things like mushrooms and ibogaine and um, LSD and um, some of the other psychoactive drugs that might be you know out there that people are looking at. When you look and and I know I know you're a smart guy. I know you know people have to understand I know you well. Uh, you're a smart guy. You do all kinds of research around anything and everything you do, even when you were getting high on on fentanyl. Um, so you did a ton of research and you found. Frankly, that the best research, like I know you don't like mushrooms, so that wasn't something that interests you. But based on your research, you found that 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 clean LSD, clean acid, seemed to be the best choice for you. How did you come to that, kid? Well, I've known about the therapeutic side for for a while, and this 
genuinely quite a bit of research on it. Like a lot of psychiatrists and stuff will agree that one trip has had more profound impact than several um, several different, you know, sessions with them. And I've kind of always known and I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, if you're looking to change something, it can definitely help facilitate that. So I've decided to give it a shot. Now, is this something? Um, is this something that you find that you think you're going to be doing again? Like, are you, you are you looking forward to your next acid trip, or is it that kind of thing for you? Is it the next drug in your in your list of drugs to do, or now that you see this as a medicinal therapeutic um, uh, process or protocol that seems to work for you? Um, how do you view the next time you're going to use acid? If there's going to be a next time, I mean. A lot of people use it recreationally, but I see it more of as something on a need basis, right? Because it isn't completely risk-free. There's definitely some side effects and potentially lifelong impacts that can it can definitely cause. But you know, I can only see myself doing it if I really like, you know, need it. Maybe a couple of years down the line or something like that. We're talking to Sean from Barry about uh, an LSD experience that turned his uh, this young 17-year-old's life around from being an opioid addict to someone with no cravings and no urges to use the harmful stuff that almost killed him a half a dozen times or so. Uh, before we let you go, Sean, um, number one, I hope you'll come back again. Uh, and number two, um, what would you tell the listeners um, about your experience uh, at such a young age, and um, you know, what what advice can you give to somebody with a, mi- a minute or so here? What advice can you give to someone who's struggling, a young person who's struggling with uh, with uh, opioid addiction now, and uh, what suggestions you might give them? Well, look, I'm not going to tell people to just go out and do acid. I would, what I would recommend is, you know, do your research on various psychedelics. You know, really do as much research as you can, and you know, if you think it's right for you if you read other people's experiences and it seems like something that can benefit you then i think you should definitely give it a shot but just don't go into it you know not knowing what it is what kind of effect it can have have you shared have you shared your experiences with others um my close friends but that's that's about it well, listen, I think it's an amazing story. I hope everyone else does, too. Uh, I'm talking to Sean from Barry. We're talking about uh, his opioid uh, addiction, which has now seemed to be curbed by one, just one uh, interaction, unguided interaction with LSD. And uh, we hope to have him back on soon to uh, talk about other things in his life that are changing and for the better. Thank you so much for listening to us tonight. Listen, you know, if you don't know where your children are, your loved ones, you need to go find them. And if you can't find them right now, you know, you need to reach out to 911 and, and, and make sure you know where the people in your life are because uh, that's our job. And if you're with somebody, give them a hug, man. Love the one you're with. And just remember, it's easier to be nice than it is to be nasty. And we look forward to seeing you again next week, hearing from you over through the week. You can get a hold of me at Road to Recovery at 640toronto.com. Or you can always phone me at 877 877- 777-5808. That's my private toll-free number, 877-777-5808. We'd be glad to help you in any way that we can. And um, it's just been a blast. I hope we can talk about more interesting stuff next week that, you're, that you'll are uh, that you join us for and uh, hopefully call in and give us some thoughts and ideas about what you think. Have an amazing week. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.